Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, I'm pleased to have on a Rhode Island native, uh, probably the first on the show, an Emerson College grad who is currently a showrunner's assistant on Battle Creek and has worked for house creator David Shore the past two years. Prior to that, she's been a script coordinator and a writer's assistant. She's also a writer, and with her partner in crime, Ali Siebert, she is one half of the Asian-American writing duo Robot Camels. Welcome, Miss Liz Alper. Thanks for coming on, Liz. Hi, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello. Um, <laughs> you were actually t- talking to me before. Just, I have to get it out of the way. Robot Camels is an awesome writing duo team name. Where did that oh, come thank from? You. That, um, that's actually Allie's fault. So oh, okay. I'm placing the blame solely right. on Allie. Um, <laughs> she's, she's fantastic. No, she is uh, kind of inhuman, honestly. We kind of we joke a lot <laughs> about the fact that she was, you know, made in a laboratory. She's adopted, so we actually have this. This very well could be true. She's basically orphan black, mm-hmm. and she just has this insane healing factor. Where she, anytime she gets sick, you know, she's better within a day. If she gets a cold sore, it's better within a day. Um, and she can go for maybe like two or three days without drinking any water, and she'll she'll be perfectly fine. Like she won't feel it. She'll be okay. And at one point, I just kind of got you know, frustrated with her. I was like, you're just some robot camel. Like, I don't know how to deal with you anymore. And your insane health. Like, it's great. I'm so jealous. But kind of ever since then, it's been an inside joke where we're just robot camels. And it's mostly Allie. Allie's the robot camel. But <laughs> we, it's stuck. Yeah, so no, that's it's, awesome. It's a, it's a good way to call it. Yeah, it's a good thing to call your partner. And you guys met on an elevator? Is that true? We met in a bathroom. Oh, bathroom. That's bathroom. what it was. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's equally uh, tantalizing. Right. But Small space. We, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we met, um, we actually met several times in a bathroom, which okay. shows that those relationships do end happily if you just put in the time and effort. Right. Um, but really, it's, it's, we were both working on different shows. I was working for David uh, as we were doing this pilot called Doubt, and Ali had just started on Rake. And we shared a floor in the same building, and we just kind of kept running into each other in the restroom. Like, we wouldn't see each other anywhere else in the building. Mm-hmm. We would just only run into each other in the restroom. And I think after, like, the fifth or sixth time, we just started laughing hysterically about it. Wondering who was the stalker. Oh, it was Allie. Yeah. Totally Allie. <laughs> totally Allie. She just, she just wanted a friend, really. <laughs> That's what I think. Actually, I'm going to go back to her and just be like, actually, I'm, I'm questioning how this friendship came about. Can you clear some things up now right it's a conspiracy but yeah yeah but she um yeah she and i started talking and we just realized we had so much in common we had very similar sensibilities and we talked about uh, a couple of scripts that we both wanted to write and we decided why don't we try writing them together and it worked out really well and it's been very happy ever since that's cool that's uh, yeah. sort of an organic way to find that writing partner yeah, it is. And it's it's strange because I'd actually been wanting a writing partner for years because I have a lot of trouble writing on my own because mm-hmm. I get so caught up in my own head. It's hard for me to actually get ideas down on paper because I just, I question so many things to the point where it's it's just a mess. You know, I don't even know what to write anymore because I've completely unraveled the initial idea that I started with. Right. And so having having someone else kind of going every step with you and who feels the same way and you can talk out talk it out and just bounce ideas off of each other. It's it's very helpful. Yeah, I would imagine having a robot camel would be extremely helpful. Yeah. <laughs> in many in many circumstances. Yeah. In many circumstances yeah. It's actually actually oh God, having a robot camel, it's it's all I ever wanted as a child. <laughs> Um, now, since you've been a writer's assistant, showrunner's assistant, um, a script coordinator, and I know you know there's also writers PAs, um, and since they're all sort of a springboard to staff writer, um, mm-hmm. assuming you have the goods, you know, writing skill wise. But I wanted to touch base with you on a few areas since you're in an ideal position to answer. Okay, first off, writer's assistant, showrunner's assistant, script coordinator, and writer's PA. Could you sort of explain the uh, various responsibilities of those different jobs uh, and how they work with the writers and producers on your show or on shows? It's a different experience depending on what show you're on. Uh, That really determines what you're going to be doing as a writer's assistant or writer's PA, script coordinator. Um, For me, as a writer's assistant, 
I was always expected to be in the room and taking notes and making sure that all the ideas were recorded and making sure that everybody had everything that they needed. So I was very much in charge of the rooms. As the writer's PA, I was a little bit more in charge of the well-being of the writers. So mm-hmm. I was the one always going on, you know, lunch runs and stopping crafty and going into the offices and making sure everybody was okay and uh, making sure that everybody had their schedules and their daily preps and w- knew what was going to be happening for the day. And I think as a writer's PA, funny enough, I got to know the writers a little better than I did as a writer's assistant. Hmm. Um, and that's only because I'm, I was constantly going into the different rooms going like, what do you need? How can I help? You know, so I really got to know them very well by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a script coordinator, really your, my big responsibility was making sure that I was getting the script out to production and make, you know, when I would get it, I would go through it and proof it and make sure that it was good and formatted and ready to send on. And then I would just send it out and then it was kind of quiet until the next script came my way or the next draft or the next revised pages. As the script coordinator, I think I was in the room sometimes. When I was a script coordinator for Monday mornings, it was a small room. It was two writers who were actually on set and in the building. And then our showrunner was actually in Palo Alto. And then we had another writer who was working remotely, um, Sanjay Gupta, who had co-created the show with David E. Kelly. Um, Mm -hmm. So he would occasionally write a script and send it in. But it was an interesting situation because everything was being done remotely. Um, so even even the writer's room, it was just the two writers, the writer's assistant, and myself. And I would usually just sit there and occasionally contribute ideas, usually not. But, you know, I would help take notes and kind of help out with anything else that needed to be done. I, I think with a larger room, usually the script coordinator is mostly in charge of the script. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of all the different various tasks and responsibilities of the different positions, some of which filter between different jobs and difficult to say and what circumstance a writer's assistant, mm-hmm. showrunner's assistant, script coordinator's responsibilities will overlap or whatever. But what sort of skills are essential for writer's room assistants, sort of bunching them all together? What right. sort of skills uh, are essential for them to have? Typing words per minute, screenwriting program expertise, final draft, movie magic, etc. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, w- I would say it's always good to know how to do Final Draft or Movie Magic, mm-hmm. just be familiar with whatever your show uses. So, you know, I happen, every single show that I've been on happens to be uh, Movie Magic shows. Mm-hmm. So I'm a lot more familiar with Movie Magic than I am with Final Draft at this point, mm-hmm. just because I'm constantly using it. Sure. But I would say always be familiar with those sorts of programs and always know how to find the answer in case a writer is having issues with those programs, uh, just because most of the time you'll be the first person that they go to for help. Right. Um, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a, there's a required like, typing words per minute, but I would say learn how to type fast, but also come up with your own sort of shorthand, because there are a lot of rooms where they're going to want everything that's being said organized into a document mm-hmm. and hand it out. Um, The other thing I would say is know how to organize ideas because there are going to be a lot of ideas thrown about in a room. And the worst thing you can do is just hand out a transcript. Those are usually like 12 pages long, 12 pages long, and they're dense and they're hard to read. and It's hard to pick out the ideas. So knowing how to take all of the information and condensing it into maybe two, three pages is going to be so vital. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, now, how did you get your first job as a writer's assistant? You know, I was really, really lucky. So I um, had happened to know one of the EPs on a house. And there was another show at the time that I was applying for for the uh, writer's intern. And I had been out of college for a few years at that point. Um, and I was having trouble finding another job. I was especially having trouble finding a way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, into the scripted world. And so I had, you know, I had emailed this writer just for some advice about, should I take this writer's internship? I think, you know, it's not paid. I just don't know how else to get my foot in the door. And he wrote back and was like, you know, we we might actually have an opening here at house. If you want to send my resume, I can't make any promises. You know, I'll definitely put it in the pile. So when they, when they brought me in, I, I'm, 
from what I understand, I was the only candidate who was incredibly enthusiastic about stocking sodas and who was just, you know, really very clearly excited to be there and was going to be willing to work hard. I think one other thing was uh, at that point, um, House was, this was the seventh season of House, and it was so established that there weren't really freelances being uh, offered to assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the writing staff was so huge and, you know, just it, it wasn't really possible, especially because I was going to be the newest kid. I think there were five other assistants there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were just like, look, you're not going to get a script and you're going to stock sodas and the job sucks and the pay sucks and everything sucks. But, you know, if you do it with a smile, maybe someone will like you and they'll take you somewhere. That was that was honest to God. That was the pitch for the job. <laughs> <laughs> and. I just remember sitting there going, I, this is the place I want to be. Like, I want to be here. I want to do all that. I will do everything with a smile. I will do it to the best of my abilities. I will stock sodas alphabetically. I don't care. I just want to be here. And I think they, I think they really responded to that enthusiasm. And that's why I got the job. And I just followed through with it where I, I would stock sodas with a smile. And I would, you know, it, after you get lunch for the 85th time in a row, yeah, it sucks, but you know, if you keep doing it well, everyone appreciates that. So uh-huh. I think that's why that's why I kept the job. No, that's great. And did you have, yeah. um, you said that you wanted a way to break in. So you, I'm assuming you didn't have a ton of industry experience or contacts prior to that, other than you said you had sort of known an EP somehow. Right. Yeah, I had known the EP through a mentorship program oh, cool. through Emerson, actually. So oh, that's, cool. that's how I, yeah, that's how I met that EP. <laughs> But I I did not know many people in scripted at mm-hmm. that point. I had done work for reality shows. I actually came out uh, to do my internship program through Emerson during the writer's strike. Oh. So it yeah yeah exactly. So <laughs> there I mean there was a big hold on internships at that point. So mm-hmm. when I had gotten my internship, it was in reality TV, and then I kind of fell into reality TV for a while, mm-hmm. and. Kind of by the time I had, I had actually gotten staffed on house, I was working just not a very fun job. And I don't mean that lightly. I mean, like, it was very, it, it paid very little. And it was basically clicking three computer keys over and over and over for eight hours a day. And right. it was, it was, you know, it was not my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had contacts, but it's hard because I think not a lot of people want to talk to you at networking events if they work in scripted and you don't. Right. So you know, unless you have something really cool to offer or you're just someone who lights up a room, I think at those big networking events, the scripted people tend to, uh, you know, migrate towards themselves and hang out in their own little group. And then everyone else is on the outskirts trying to get in. Right. And that's something that probably some folks who may not be insiders to the industry may not realize. It's both television, scripted, and and, uh, reality. Uh, non-scripted yeah. but they're very yeah, yeah. different circles you know they don't tend to mingle very often um and they don't have you know, like contacts in one don't lend to the other necessarily exactly yeah exactly. on any level so right so i mean the contacts i had i could have gotten on you know several different reality shows sure. but that was not where i wanted to be anymore right. um reality is a non-scripted is is a different beast altogether Mm -hmm. and i was doing uh competitive reality shows Mm -hmm. so that was you know that was kind of uh it's not great work if you're not the type of person to be doing it right so i think that's the thing there i think there are a lot of people who thrive in reality and i just wasn't one of them so i was very glad to get my break in scripted yeah i know that's awesome yeah um now you had talked about when you took the writer's pa position on house they told you straight up you're not going to get the opportunity to pitch an idea you're not for a freelance script not nothing you're basically going to stock yeah i would say yeah it was was that you know i wouldn't get the opportunity to get freelance script right now how realistic or common is it generally speaking for assistants to be offered that opportunity um to pitch ideas for an episode to the showrunner and again that's primarily the reason that Writer's assistance positions, showrunner's assistance positions, script coordinator positions mm-hmm. are in such demand because it's sort of that next step. That next level. Right. Yeah. For aspiring writers. It's really you you're you're in the room, you're working with the writers and producers and the showrunner. Um, and again, that's one of the great 
perks, so to speak, is to be right. sort of offered that opportunity to pitch ideas. Um, but how realistic or common is it for that to happen? You know, I think it's very common. And just, you know, I just want to clarify, too, because two of the assistants, actually three of them, the script coordinator and then two of the EP assistants, uh, all got scripts for season eight of House, which was the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, you know, I'm new kid and there are a lot of assistants. And usually uh, there's only one freelance script per season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in order to get everybody, you know, all of the assistants, those scripts, it was going to take some juggling. But those three especially, they were the ones, you know, David is awesome when it comes to young writers. Um He's always open to their ideas, you know, especially the ones who have been there for a while. Uh, And two of the assistants actually co-wrote with two of the writing staff. So more of the senior writers. Mm -hmm. And I think I think it's it's going to always depend on the showrunner. There are going to be some showrunners who don't want assistants pitching ideas all the time because they just want assistance. And that's you know, that's not a bad thing what you do then is you look at what you're taking away from the job. You're in the room, you're listening to how people pitch ideas, you're listening to what ideas that the showrunner's responding to, so that if there ever comes a time where the showrunner's like, hey, I actually do want to listen to assistant ideas, uh, you know how to pitch and you know what sort of stories that he's looking for. That said, I do think that there are a lot of showrunners now who are more and more willing to offer scripts to assistants who are coming up with the right ideas and who are listening and who uh, are showing promise. I think there are some showrunners who do it by a case-by-case basis. And I think I think the, the fact of the matter is like being a, a, a writer's assistant or a writer's PA or a script coordinator, you know, it's not always a guaranteed next step. It's not always going to be, well, now I am just one away from being promoted to staff writer. I think it's definitely a great way in and I think even better it's it's introducing you to a whole group of writers who are going to go off to different shows or create their own shows and those are people you would not have met before had you not been on that show you know so if you're on a show where there's a showrunner who doesn't want to give you know a script to an assistant there might be a writer in that room who's going to go off and create their own show and bring you with them who is going to be open to that, right. you know, who does want assistance to be promoted. Actually, I do know of a friend of mine who was a writer's assistant on a show that wasn't giving shows, uh, giving scripts to assistants, and he went off with another writer who created her own show, and she promoted him to staff writer. So, you know, it's it's. I would look at it as a really great way to meet people and prove that you're the type of person that they want in a room at 2 a.m., Right. You know, so even if you don't get the script, it's not all is lost. Right. We hear that a lot. Yeah. 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 Because I think I think that's what it is. Is like a lot of people think if I don't get the freelance, I'm not going to be promoted to staff writer, and that's just not true. Right. And a lot of people also think that they write a brilliant spec or uh, pilot, and that's their ticket in. And honestly, uh, most of the writer producers showrunners we've spoken to it's really yeah. most they would much rather have somebody they get along with who's a good writer than a great writer who's somebody that they just don't want around that much exactly exactly like no one wants egos i think the other thing is too is, you know when it comes to representation you know because i think a lot of people who are asking those questions about how to get into the room the next step is always like well how do i get representation mm-hmm. and agents and managers you know one big thing that's very helpful besides being someone who works hard and has samples and you know is is a talented writer is going to be coming to them with a list of people saying like this is who i know this is who you could reach out to and say hey this person is ready to take that next step you have a show or you're going to be number two on a show, would you consider them as a staff writer? Right. So being in the room is just so much more than just looking at it as your next step to being a staff writer. Right. It's it's really, I hate to say it's all what you make of it, but it kind of is. You know, I know that's cliche, but if you if you go in and you make the best of it, then that's only going to help you in the long run. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because I was having coffee with a friend who's a junior manager at a management company. Uh, mm-hmm. 
couple days ago. And right. uh, he's like, oh, what are you up to? I'm like, I'm doing a podcast Saturday with the showrunner's assistant of Battle Creek. You, obviously. Mm-hmm. The first thing he says was, is she repped? Right. Re- that literally, <laughs> I'm not joking. That's the first question out of his mouth. Oh, that's so, hilarious. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Okay. Um, so that, yes, yeah. I'm repped, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, but that's it's so true, too, because usually I think that's, that's the appeal with showrunners assistants is that they, they hear showrunners assistant and go, Oh, you know, everybody, right. you know, a lot of people. <laughs> and especially because you don't just know, you know, showrunners, but you know, the baby writers who are going to be, you know, the showrunners pretty soon. And then, right. you know, you know, other people at development companies and you make those connections. So it's sure. really, again, it's make friends people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, talking about getting a freelance script or and staff writers, can you explain the difference between what a staff writer is and freelance writer, a writer getting to write a freelance episode on a show? So I can explain to the best of my knowledge, and sure. I'm sure somebody's going to comment like, this chick has no idea what she's talking about. And they won't be completely wrong. But <laughs> um... No, I think they're completely wrong. So don't <laughs> Thank you. Words. Okay, we will just say right now, don't even bother no. making the comment you're mm-hmm. completely wrong. Right. Um, Basically, a, a freelance is given to, can be given to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be given to an assistant. It could be given to an outside writer who's not on staff. I believe it's required to have one freelance, at least one freelance. It might only be one, but I, it, it might be more now. I don't know. It depends um, on the least... on the number of episodes. I think if, you're, if it's... It does? Okay. If, yeah, I think if it's 13 or something, it's one. I think if it's up to 22, I think it's two or three it's two? even. Yeah, it, gets, it goes right. up the more episodes you're yeah. guaranteed. I was going to say, I think I think that's right. I think... I think uh, I'm pretty sure for the last season of House, we had 22 episodes and it was two scripts. Yeah, something like that. And then, yeah, and then for Battle Creek, we ended up having one freelance script. Mm -hmm. But the difference is, if you are writing the freelance, that doesn't mean you're a staff writer now. It means you wrote a script that got produced and is being put on air, and that's very cool. And you're actually going to get paid for the episode, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's a big chunk of change. It's not too bad. As a staff writer, you're part of the staff. You are part of the writing team. So you are in the WGA. You're getting. You're not getting paid episodically, but you are getting paid weekly uh, for your services. And you're going to be an actual. You're getting the actual writing credit, and you are on the path that you want to be on. Getting. I know people who have remained assistants who have gotten several freelances, but haven't made that jump yet. And it's kind of frustrating because I think. Getting a freelance is almost like throwing the dog a bone in some cases where it's mm-hmm. like, we're not going to promote you, but we're going to give you this instead. You know, it's, right. it's trust me, I've, I've seen how much those things pay and it's a very nice bone you're being thrown, but it's still not quite being a writer. Right. Um, so once you finally make the transition to staff writer, you won't be getting paid for the scripts that you write just yet. Uh, you don't get paid for your episodes, I think, until you're you're either an ESE or maybe a co-producer, um, but I, it's it's still you're in, you're on staff, and that's a huge thing. So that's the difference, right? And for those who didn't understand your lingo, ESE, executive story editor, yeah, yeah is uh, where you get paid for not only your weekly rate, but your the scripts you write, you get paid for both. Whereas a staff writer, yeah. right? Whereas a staff writer, you get your weekly, um, and if you write an episode, the episode fees come out of the weekly salary. So you know it sort of averages out. You don't get paid for both. Exactly, and you, you actually, you actually know much more than I do. So if anyone has a problem with what was just said, you can blame Kevin. Absolutely, and I'll I'm take. Sure the they're heat. going to be Kevin. Yes, yes, yeah. you can have all the comments y- about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the heat on that. That's it's all. Yay, all that's my job. <laughs> um, Okay, so the next step is, as a showrunner's assistant, as David Shore's assistant, you've probably been around staffing meetings and the staffing process in general, as well as for your own writing. What sort of advice do you have for these aspiring writers who aren't writer's assistants, showrunner's assistants, but outside writers who are preparing for those all-important showrunner meetings? They send out their pilots and get some meetings, and and do you have Mm -hmm. any sort of advice for that, having witnessed that process? Um, you know, I'm going to be honest. I, I can relay the same advice that I've been given because Allie and I are going through the same process right now yeah. where we're going out for staffing and we're meeting with uh, showrunners assistants and it's been a little bit nerve wracking. But you know, the best thing that I can say is they've read your writing and they like it. So if you got the meeting, it's because they like what they read on the page. 
what they want now is to see if they like who they meet in person. Mm -hmm. So as, as you're going through, you know, make sure you know the show. Make sure that you're familiar with the characters, have an idea or two under your belt. But also, you know, ask around, ask, uh, ask friends of friends if, you know, who you know might have been on the show or know the showrunner. And make sure you know, like, is this the showrunner that likes big personalities? Is this a showrunner who is looking for someone who is an ideas guy? Or is this the showrunner uh, who wants someone who's calm and supportive and is going to be working until four in the morning with the rest of the team um, and who's going to be someone that you want in the room when you're just exhausted and tired and you don't want to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you want to find out what their personal preference is. And then when you go into the meeting, you want to be yourself, but you also want to make it clear that you are the person that they're looking for. So if you're looking, you know, if they're looking for someone who can work till 4 a.m. and be that cool person, then, you know, work that into a conversation, you know, somehow uh, mention how you are the person that everyone turns to and everyone kind of relies on when the going gets tough. I think everybody wants the person who is going to gel best with the rest of the staff. So you just want to know who the staff is. You just want to do your homework. And that's, that's really the best advice that I've received. No, that's great. Now, I'm sure, again, it's on a case-by-case basis. Everyone is going to be different. But for mm-hmm. a showrunner meeting, who's in the meeting besides the showrunner and the writer? Who have you seen? In who can be in it? Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes I've seen if, if it's being produced by uh, a production company, if a show is produced by a production company, there will all, often be a representative from that production company in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's not just because they want to uh, they want to meet the writer for that show. It's because they want to make sure that if for whatever reason they pass on that writer for that show, is that writer good for a different project that they have? Mm-hmm. So you might have, you know, a representative from that production co- company. You might have um, a head of development. Sometimes you will actually be taking uh, a couple of meetings. So you'll be taking, you know, a meeting with the producer who will vet a bunch of writers to pass on to the showrunner. Um and that's just so the showrunner who's incredibly busy is meeting as many candidates as he needs to meet, but not so many that he's overwhelmed and kind of going, well, this is a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think for the most part, in my experience, it's usually just the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Often, again, you know, that representative from a production company or, you know, maybe a producing partner uh but otherwise, it's it's usually just them. It's a very small, intimate setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was your first experience like working on a show in in the writers' room? Mm-hmm. Um, I was really overwhelmed. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was I was so scared that I was going to do a bad job because I wanted to do a good job so badly. Um, I'm a little anal about things. And so, you know, and I, I don't want to say OCD, but I do have certain ways of doing things that are comfortable to me. And you just, you have to be flexible in a writer's room. So going out of my element in, in that sort of case uh, was nerve wracking. And it was also just really cool. It's, it's definitely getting thrown in the deep end of the pool. I was lucky enough that I had 14 writers who were all wonderful, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also lucky because I was on a show that I had been on the air for seven seasons already. So everything was running like clockwork. So there was, there was already like a set routine there. I would definitely say that I was also lucky to have assistants who were very nice and who wanted me to do well. And they were the ones who were always looking out for me. So they were the ones I would turn to for help. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was wonderful. It was it was really, really <laughs> cool. Uh, House was one of my favorite shows. And House was actually the show that made me want to be a writer. Oh, cool. So being in that writer's room and walking down the hallways and seeing all of the names I had always seen on the credits, it was just, it was a little overwhelming. It was very, very cool. So you're one of those people who... Yeah, you know, I would love to work on House, and then all of a sudden you come to Hollywood, you make a few phone calls, and, and now you're working on House. I get it. So we all hate you. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's exactly. awesome. Exactly. That's awesome. I just, you know, I'm, it's it's like I, you know, I make my dreams come true. I I go and I work on House. I find my own robot camel. Right. Just, exactly. Sky, sky is the limit. So unfair. 
You're uh, a hero. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's <laughs> nah, awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, God. I, uh, by the way, I just can't talk about how awesome those people were, and that's I think that's how you know you're lucky. Right. And now you're working on Battle Creek with David and Vince Gilligan. Yeah, more David than Vince. Vince is very busy with Better Call Saul. Right. Um, you know, I've talked to him a couple of times on the phone. I'm very close with his assistant. His assistant is wonderful. But it's definitely, it's David's room. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of the writers that I knew from House as well. So, and it's nice to be kind of back amongst family, if you will. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's great that David yeah. brings along a lot of the same people. And Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, I mean, God knows, I think a lot of showrunners do that, where instead of saying, yeah, let's, let's bring in, you know, a whole new team, right. it's who did, who did we work really well with, especially because God knows in a writer's room, there's just never enough time. You sure. know, I think there's this amazing Lorne Michaels quote that's, that goes something along the lines of, uh, the show doesn't go on because it's perfect. The show goes on because it's, te- it's like 10.59. Right. No, absolutely. So it's, yeah, and I think that's, that's very much what it is in TV. So you want, you want the people that you know you're going to work well with and work efficiently with. And, you know, David made a hit TV show with a bunch of writers, and, you know, Battle Creek has been a wonderful experience because there has been that camaraderie uh, camaraderie there right and speaking of wonderful quotes um at the last writers guild tv symposium david was there and mm-hmm. i remember him specifically saying that when someone asks when do you know a script is done and david said a script is done when you start shooting it period i mean yeah. it, that's when it's done uh so yeah <laughs> his quote exactly was, right. yeah, a script yeah. is done when you have to start shooting it yeah and that's and, so true and like you said that day comes and there is no stopping it and it comes way too fast right <laughs> yeah it's just there's never enough time like yeah. you will sit there and look at your calendar and go like i've got this and then it's, no you don't no you don't <laughs> by the time you that time has come yeah by the time you say i've got it's already time. Right, yeah. right. I've got to, oh, wait. People banging on your office door yeah. waiting for that draft. Right. Now, in terms of your own writing uh, with the Robot Camel partner, um, when yep. do you find time to write on your own? Um, obviously, you have a very demanding job. Are you able to work on your own stuff during the season? Is that something that you have to put aside till hiatus? Or You know what? Uh, it's not. It used to be. And because I, I have a writing partner now who, you know, I'm... I'm kind of accountable for you know if, if you know if i'm not getting promoted and if i'm not doing well like well that's on me mm-hmm. but if i'm not doing the work then she's suffering you know sure. what i mean so ali and i actually and ali by the way was uh after rake she went on to be uh joe carnahan's assistant for state of affairs so she was also very very busy mm-hmm. we've been writing on weekends every weekend for I think 10 months now Oh wow! for, for a couple of different projects. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a routine. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like a custody where I talk to my boyfriend. I'm like, okay, you can have me this day, but I have to go write with Allie on this day. Right. So here are the times that I can see you take your pick. And every other time I'm, I'm writing with Allie. And so pretty much, yeah, I think every single weekend we would, we would be writing and we would be breaking story. And then when we got to, uh, when it got to script time, we would each, we would take an act and, you know, we'd be on iChat and we'd be chatting back and forth about, do you like this? What do you think of this? Here's a screenshot of the changes I made. What do you think of them? Um, and we would send drafts back and forth and make, make little changes. But, and we would be doing that during the work week too, um, whenever we had some downtime. So it's, to answer your question, no, we're working all the time and right. it's tiring, but, but yeah. we did it. So, and I think someone said writers are people who find the time to write, even though that they don't want to and keep doing it until mm-hmm. they succeed. You know, the people who don't become writers are not the people who are bad writers. They're the people who just kind of give up and don't, don't make the time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause there's infinite so, number of excuses to not write. Yeah, exactly. There's so, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like there was a point where I didn't write for, I think two years mm-hmm. because I was just so busy with, with work and with my job. And then when the weekends came, it was just like, no, this is the last thing I want to do. Um, but writing with a writing partner has really kind of whipped me into shape. So again, and even now pretty much every weekend we're getting together and we're pitching ideas and we're, you know, continuously working on something. So that's great. Yeah. Now we get a lot of listeners who ask how to get a writer's assistant job, show writer's assistant job. And again, nobody gets them in the same way. It's, it's very difficult, obviously. 
But do you have any yeah. advice for aspiring TV writers who are interested in securing one of those few prized assistant positions in the writer's room? Mm-hmm. You know, I would say make friends. And I know that sounds very condescending and very weird, but I think one mistake that a lot of people make is that they go to these networking events and they go with the intention to just network right? and just to meet people. And then you're going to go and you're going to have your two drinks and, you know, keep in touch occasionally and send each other jobs. And um, that's always nice. But the people I, for example, when I, when I got hired on house, every single person who was a candidate had been recommended by somebody on, on the staff, whether it was an assistant or, or an actual writer. And it was because they liked these like liked the candidates and they considered them personal friends. You know, they were people that they would really go to bat for. Mm-hmm. So you, and I, you don't want to go out and just be that super first official person who's making friends for networking per, uh, purposes. You just want to be open to meeting new people and making good friends. Right. Um, because I, I find when you do that, those are the people that are really going to go, go to bat for you. And right. you're making friends. So really, what's the downside? It's not a bad thing. Like, don't be lonely. Oh, I have too many friends. It's I don't yeah. want any more. Jeez. Right. Just Do like, I have to have more? Oh, I'm so popular and it's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. And now I have to go and like make more friends who are going to want me around, who I can talk to and be there for me in times of crisis. It's so annoying. Right. I hate you that. Know? But so yeah. Much. Yeah. Oh, it's so terrible. <laughs> it's just, it's such a curse. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, that's so arrogant. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, yeah, I would, I would say, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how personal the business is, you know, and it's, it's that when you finally get the opportunity for that job, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you get that interview or if you get that chance, you just want to be the person that everyone else wants to be around. And here's the thing. If, I think I've met a lot of people who are like, but I'm just not that person. Right. It's like, well, learn to be that person. Because if you can't learn to be that person, then you're not going to be the person that people want around as a staff writer. Right. Especially so, in or TV. Or a writer or anyone. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because you spend, I mean, God, you spend so much time in a room with these people. You know, if you if you can't learn how to be someone that other people want around, mm-hmm. then, you know, I hate to say it, maybe this isn't for you. Right. Yeah, write features. Write features. Yeah. Go be a feature writer. Yeah. It will be fine. Go be, you know, or even like a graphic novel writer. Sure. Absolutely. Go be, yeah, those are, you know, those are uh, slightly less collaborative. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. But at the same time, I think for TV writing, um, I understand how, how difficult it is to get those assistant jobs. Mm-hmm. and. It's hard for me to give advice about it because really 90% of it is luck and being the right person at the right time. Right. But you can always make those opportunities. You know, if you, if you reach out to people who, you know, are writer's assistants or you have friends who are friends with writer's assistants or showrunner's assistants, you can ask those people to make an introduction and see if that person would want to get coffee and meet people that way. Right. You know, so try try to make your own luck. Absolutely. And again, you also mentioned it when you went out for that writer's PA job on House, which sort of snowballed into where you are now. Something bigger, yeah. Exactly. Right, absolutely. It sounded like you weren't probably the most experienced candidate, but you were the one who wanted it the most, and you were the one who was going to do the best job. And sometimes that's what it is. It's yeah. not, oh, sometimes I've been a showrunner's exactly assistant before. For. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I was also very lucky because, and I mean, just because I want, I want to clarify, sometimes they are looking for sure. you know, the most experienced candidate, just, just sometimes, you know, so I just don't want people going like, I just need a heart of gold and I will get whatever I want, you know, right. but I, I just happened to be lucky in that the show that I was working on was a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. and they just needed a cog, you know, it didn't need to be the best cog. They just needed one. Sure. And in that case, it was they needed someone who was going to be enthusiastic about stocking sodas. Cause you're right. I had very, very little experience mm-hmm. in scripted and that would have qualified me for this, but I was lucky that I was at a job that took a chance. So yeah, no, that worked out. That's awesome. Yeah. It's very much, I think it's very much the same as when you go out for staffing, you know, like just know what they're looking for. Right. So if, if you do get that job op op where you're, uh, you're being brought in for an interview, just make sure you're asking around and seeing what it is that this show is looking for. Right. 
Um, we also get asked this a lot, and you have firsthand experience since you moved here from the East Coast, Rhode Island and Boston. Mm -hmm. Do aspiring TV writers have to live in Los Angeles? No. I think it's harder, for sure. It's definitely harder um, because when you're out here, not only are you making the connections that you need to be making, mm -hmm. but you're meeting the people that you need to be meeting who might not be other TV writers. You know, you might be meeting managers or agents or development people or people at studios. Um, and those aren't people that you're going to be meeting so much in Chicago or, you know, Providence, Rhode Island. But I think it is possible. You know, we've worked on a couple of projects now with writers who uh, live out of state. You know, we, we were actually working with a writer who is working in Maine, who, mm. whose home base is in Maine. And he comes out, I think, of, like maybe once a year uh, to take meetings and such. That said, it's it's a lot harder. You know, I'm not going to lie. If, if you're not in Los Angeles or New York, it is going to be more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, this is the age of technology and I'm on a bunch of tracking boards where people don't live in Los Angeles and who are a part of it and who are getting advice remotely. But I think if you're, if you really want to make that push, you know, it's not just coming out a couple of times a year to meet, you know, take meetings and meet people. It's, it's going to be a little bit more. Right. And for those uh, aspiring writers, not living in LA, but considering moving out here to further their career, do you have any sort of advice for them? Yeah, I would say, you know, do as much research as you can. Join a few tracking boards so that you kind of know people before coming here. Uh, so you're not just coming to Los Angeles, knowing no one, having nothing, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But also just do just do the research. You know, know what projects are at what studios. Know which TV shows are at what studios. Know the names of the big players in Hollywood because that's always going to help you get that first job. Is if you show up and you know you're well prepared, that might mean something more than somebody who's been out in Los Angeles for like five years. Mm -hmm. So if you come in and you're going to a job and, you know, for example, you're like, oh, you know, I'll go work for a development exec, maybe. Maybe I'm going to go out and see if I can be part of this company until I can get on my feet writing. Knowing who all the big players are is going to be so helpful. And that's going to show people that you are ready to be taken seriously. Um, if you want to come out and just write, then just make sure you're talking to people about where are where are the best networking mixers being held? Who are the people that I should be meeting? Like, are there people who would be willing to come have drinks with me my first week in Los Angeles? Are there people that I can talk to when I move out here just to get hit the ground running and ask about job advice? It's really, I mean, it's all homework. It's all research. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Writing is a lot of research. During this interview, the more I'm talking about it, I'm just like, oh my God, there's so much homework involved in this. Right. And that's, I think, one of the, that sort of misconception that you write a script, you get an agent, and you're a writer. And there's so much more legwork and research other than um, yeah. writing that you have to put in to, yeah. to get where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think the other thing is like, once you've written that first script, you're not done. You no. have to write another script, yeah. another script, another script. So. I think uh, I think that's actually another reason why people decide ultimately not to be writers because they look <laughs> at it and go, oh, oh, that's a lot of work. I don't right. want to do that anymore. Right. Now, I, I like to ask this question. How many scripts have you written personally, in including from time in, in school and, you know, yeah. scripts that will never see the light of day that we've all written? Right. Uh, approximately, right. round number, how many scripts do you think you've written? You know, I think personally, I have written maybe about 10. Mm-hmm. In you know, since I actually started writing, um, which is a very small number compared to other people who have been out here for as long as I have. Um, again, there was there was two years that I wasn't writing, mm -hmm. um, and I think I might actually have maybe like twenty or so outlines in on my computer right now for scripts that uh, I got to outline stage and then never got to script stage because I looked at the idea and just went, no, I can't, I don't know how to break this. Right. But I would say I have just to go along with that. Um, and this is more tr me trying to make myself look a little better for only having <laughs> written 10 scripts. Sure. I would say I have read quite like well over a hundred scripts. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly reading not only other scripts, but other articles and other magazines sure. and, you know, anything that I can get my hands on. And I like to tell myself that that helps, you know, and I, I know it does help. Sure. 
I like I like to think that when I'm, when I'm looking at my you know sad little pile of scripts, going I could have written more. I'm like, but I was reading. I was reading a lot. <laughs> Research. Like, that's so good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I still I, I earned my B. Sure. Like, that's a good solid B for effort. No, and it's good. We get it all the time. People have written one script and they just want an agent so they can sell it, and that's the way it works. Yeah. And again, right. keep writing. And it's just oh, it's just not. Yeah, exactly. I think. So Tommy Moran gave me this advice about you're a writer after you've written 20 scripts. And I think there's there's a lot of value in that where it's just you're someone you don't really know what you're doing with the first script. And you might think that it's amazing. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. 75% of the time, it's just not. It's not a good script, even if you think it is. And then the second script is going to be better. And the third script is going to be better and so on and so forth. And then by the time you've written that 20th script, not only do you know what you're doing, but you know how to put your ideas on paper in such a way that's compelling and it's something that people want to read. Um, And I think that's a mistake that a lot of new writers make. Well, they will write four or five or, you know, 10 scripts uh, and then think that they're done. And Mm -hmm. you're just, you're not done. Right. And whether it's 10, 20, 30 scripts till you are actually a really good writer, just know it's not one or two. <laughs> no, you know, no, every, it's everyone not. is different, but no, it's not one or two. You're not going to be a, a it's great not writer. One or two and it, right. Yeah. And it's also, I think like the bigger thing is you don't necessarily have the time management skills. Sure. So being a TV writer is, is not just so much about being able to write, but being able to write in such a short period of time as we already covered. David E. Kelly, fun fact, I think, I'm sure you guys know this, but he is constantly writing. Mm-hmm. Like, he has just files of different ideas and different scripts that he's, write, uh, that he's written in the past. And he just, he never stops. Even when he doesn't have to be writing, he's always writing. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind because Lord knows that's the man that won, you know, best comedy and best drama uh, in the same year at the Emmy Awards. Yeah, no, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. And I've heard, though, that a lot of writers on his show, they don't write as much as they want to because he is doing so much of that sort of heavy lifting and rewriting and this and that. And, yeah, that's that's actually very true. Um, yeah. He, he, I mean, it, he's brilliant. He's just brilliant. And he has all the stories in his head. Yeah. Um, so usually, you know, what those writers do is they'll write maybe the B storyline or the C storyline. And he'll usually, in uh, when I was doing uh, Monday mornings, he would usually incorporate the B storylines or the C storylines into that script. I know on his other shows, that was not necessarily always the case. Mm-hmm. But he was very, very good on Monday mornings. I think it was also because it was a medical show and he wasn't so familiar with medical right. as he is with, you know, with legal. Right. Um, you know, so he was he was doing a lot more to incorporate incorporate uh, those storylines into his own. But yeah, he usually writes almost all of the scripts by himself. And I'd heard that he actually dictates them and his assistant or whoever takes notes and then types mm-hmm. up the script. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that too, which is kind of interesting. I think that, I think once upon a time, it's, it's, I know now there's a little bit of a variation. He hands write, he hand writes a script and then he has his own script coordinator who types everything up. And yeah, and I, that's uh, Jan, who is his script coordinator, was who I would coordinate with, just going back and forth with, with the different scripts. But yeah, yeah, he is, I just, I just remember seeing those pages of handwritten scripts and just kind of going like, this is, wow, this is old school. Yeah. Um, yeah, like this is, this is pre-computer stuff right here. Yeah, that's crazy. But I mean, again, you yeah. can't argue with the result. He's obviously, you know, one of the most prolific you and really brilliant can't. writers. Exactly. Yeah, you really can't. And he's, he's brilliant. And he's also, I mean, he's the nicest guy. He's just such a sweet, sweet guy. So That's awesome. What sort of misconceptions did you find regarding uh, going back to Los Angeles and moving here? What sort of misconceptions did you find regarding living in Los Angeles and working in the industry in general? You know what I think, and God, this is, this is my own personal experience. Like I can't emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. I was expecting so many more horrible people in Hollywood than mm. I found. I was, and, and trust me, they exist. I have friends who are assistants to horrible bosses who will remain who will uh, rena- <laughs> remain nameless mm-hmm. right now. But I was really expecting Hollywood to be a 
brutal, mean place. And I kind of conditioned myself uh, to be able to take that on and to be able to be someone who was not the nicest per se, but who would be someone who could kind of survive in that environment. Right. And when I got here, I worked for Magical Elves, who, you know, produced Project Runway, uh, Once Upon a Time, and currently produced Top Chef. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the owners, Dan and Jane, uh, Jane, are just some of the nicest people you will ever meet. And they've really staffed that company with other kind, good people that you just want to work with day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after I left, pretty much everywhere I went, it was just really nice, good people. And sometimes they were difficult. Sometimes they were maybe a little bratty, but they were always just good. They were always good. And they were always people that I was glad that I knew. Um, And I think that was, that was kind of a, that kind of, you know, knocked me on my ass because I was just not expecting that. And it's just, it's been really rewarding and really, really great working with David and with Aaron and with Tommy because it's, you know, they're just really nice, good people as well. So I think that's been the thing that has uh, puzzled me most about Hollywood, where I'm still kind of walking around being like, where are the assholes? Like, where are they? Uh, okay. I thought that they were supposed to be working here. So you found your magical robot camel. You had dreamed of working on house and then all of a sudden magically got to do so. And yeah. you've never worked. You, you've only worked with really great people and no assholes. What's your secret? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm realizing <laughs> as you said that, I'm like, no one should listen to me. I am probably giving like the least helpful advice you could ever ask for. Not I at am all. so sorry to all. No, I'm so sorry to all of your listeners who are probably expecting like really great, great answers. I'm just like, ah, I got everything I want. I don't know. I don't know. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that sort of, like you said, you work every weekend, uh, yeah. sacrificing free time. 10 scripts, not 20, but still, I mean, uh, you you feel like you could have written more, which is a testament to you, as opposed to, I've written 10 scripts, why am I not, you know, EP in my own show right now? So, you know, that's, yeah, that's actually true. But I think it's it's also a testament to most writers who are always very self-critical and always looking about at what they could have done better as opposed to what they did. But I would say, I think, like, it's really being able to work hard and not stopping. I think a lot of people have this idea, or I think there's there's a saying out there where it's like, just put in your year and, you know, you can take that next promotion. You can take that next step. Uh, and sometimes that's just not true. Mm-hmm. So it's basically working just as hard as you were working day one, you know, when you are still three years into the job. Right. And just knowing that people are depending on you. People are always, you know, they were depending on you at day one and they're depending on you at day 201. And as long as you're going to be the person that's clearly just bringing it every single day or, you know, trying to bring it every single day, you're going to be the kind of person that people want on their team because they know that you're not just hanging around, uh, just passing time until it's time to move to the next step. And I think that's one mistake that a lot of people make when they finally get those jobs you know, I know a lot of, I know of a handful of people who've gotten those writer's assistant jobs and the arrogance is unbelievable where, you know, they know better than the showrunner. They're giving writers advice. They're taught, they're demanding scripts or freelances kind of first week of the job. Mm. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, humility maybe, right. or just being willing to, I don't want to say wait your turn, but to be able to understand that, you know, if no one's asking you what you think, they don't care what you think. Right, right. You know, and I think that's the thing. It's like one day, if you're if you're with the right room, people are going to ask you, what do you write? What do you want to write? You know, have you written anything? Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas? I think like I was, I was maybe a year or so into house. And then, you know, there were a couple of, there were a few writers who were just like, what do you want to do? What are you planning on doing? Have you written anything that I could read? Are you interested in, you know, doing any of these diversity programs? Like, tell me your five-year plan, that sort of thing. So it's really, it's just focus on building the relationships first and just understand that you are, you are somebody that, you know, whether or not what you think you're doing is important, it's important. Take pride in what you do, even if it's just 
stocking sodas or getting lunch because when you do that, people are really going to appreciate you. Right. And you mentioned being self-critical, and I think that's something, in addition to the hard work and taking pride in in what you do, that self-critical viewpoint, I think, is oftentimes lacking in a lot of writers. But the ones that I find that are the most successful are the ones who are self-critical. I mean, I just remember watching interviews with Vince Gilligan, and he seemed to be the most self-critical of himself than anybody, which is crazy because he's brilliant, and he's still (laughs) self-critical, questioning his, his... his uh, decisions and and agonizing over every beat in his script, which is, again, crazy. But if he does that, then you and I and every other writer out there should be doing that as well. Yeah, we're totally justified in also being crazy. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's, you know, I God, I've heard it so many times. I've been to so many panels now, and at least one showrunner every time says it where they they just kind of say, I feel like a fraud while I'm sitting up here. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's that idea that, you know, it's, they are always analyzing. I was about to say they are always uh, criticizing themselves, but I think it's, they're always analyzing their work mm-hmm. and always feeling like maybe they tricked everybody into thinking they're great. I actually, I feel that way a lot at my jobs where I always just wonder if I've just tricked everybody into thinking I'm great. And I'm actually really crappy at what I do. <laughs> um, like I just, I'm, I'm always <laughs> thinking about that. But I think that's um I think that's a very writer sort of thing where you just you don't you trust yourself but you just want to do better. Right. And you're always looking at your stuff and you're wondering how I can do better. And actually, you know, I think that's that's exactly how you do really well in the writer's assistant position or the writer's PA position or the showrunner's position or the script coordinator positions. You're looking at your job and you're just, you're always wondering what did I do that could be better? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not saying like, look, if you're doing a great job, like don't sit there and, you know, feel like you're doing a terrible job, right. but just, you know, don't take it easy. Just always ask if there's anything you else you could be doing, right. because I think that's really how you're going to do well. Mm-hmm. And, that said, nobody wants to be the writer's assistant forever. You know, no one's sitting here being like, I want to be a career writer's PA. Right. But people, you know, when you work so, so hard, I think people just want to reward you. Yeah. And I think people want want to at least talk to you. They want to talk to you and they want they, they know that you're somebody that would do anything for them. It's it's okay if they want to do, you know, something for you. Yeah, absolutely. We're at the part of the podcast now where we like to find out what you're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Yay! Okay. So what are you reading? Okay, so you're going to laugh because right now I'm actually reading the American Test Kitchen uh, Family Cookbook. Okay. Which I know, yeah, I know I know that's absolutely, it's ridiculous. I love cookbooks. It's just something that I always have. But uh, we're actually, I'm reading that right now because uh, Ali and I, we're writing a period piece uh, in the Great Depression. Hmm. So some, you know, it's actually the food of the time is something that always kind of inspires me. And like in the Great Depression, they had nothing. Mm-hmm. And actually the, the cookbook that I'm reading right now has a couple of recipes that were inspired from those times. So it's just something I'm just kind of reading up on. I'm also reading this amazing book that's called A Month in the Country, and it's one that my high school teacher recommended to me. It's just, it's really, really great. It was made into a movie, I think, like 20 years ago, but it's a fantastic story that just takes place over a month uh, post-World War II in the English countryside. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's fun, and then, you know, more and more and more cookbooks, because <laughs> apparently that's what I like to read. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, watching? What are you watching now? Watching Chicago Fire right okay. now. Um, I'm, a, I'm actually a big fan of just dramas in general, mm-hmm. but I've been watching uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, okay. which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Chicago Battle Creek, yep. uh, which, you know, everybody can watch 10 p.m. Sunday. It's awesome. Yep, it is awesome. Uh, yes, yes, it is. I actually just started watching um, this old British uh, TV show that um, it's Hugh Laurie was on it. Mm-hmm. It was like Hugh, uh, it was Laurie and Fry's like first kind of thing and I don't know why I think it's because like I'm just on the spot right now but I'm forget oh it's Worcester and Jeeves oh yeah so I don't know yeah it's it was kind of Hugh Laurie's I think it might have been Hugh Laurie's like first big break into television as a comedic duo Mm. and it's really cool like they're just they're so funny together I don't know if anyone remembers Ask Jeeves 
from years and years ago, but that's where the website came from. Where oh, okay. Jesus like, yeah, Jesus this just butler who just takes care of everything. I mean everything. So it's it's great. Cool. Yeah, no, yeah. I I've never heard of that show, but uh I do remember the stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Definitely check it out. And I'm also I'm watching a lot of Twilight Zone right now just because it's my favorite. Okay, cool. Classics. Yeah. What are you playing? Do you play any games on your computer, your phone, your Xbox, anything like that? You know, I'm yes. I play I don't really play video games too much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um I never I'm one of those weird people that likes to watch people play video games, which okay. is very strange, but like It's not like, though. Anytime, There's like whole YouTube it? channels with millions and millions uh, of followers. Yeah. Well, it, well, it's so weird because I feel like those those channels have commentary and yeah. I don't like the comment. I just want to watch people play gotcha. video games. Like, gotcha. yeah, like Allie and I, I think the other night she was like, oh, I want to play this video game. Do you want to play? I was like, no, but I, I want to watch you play it if that's okay. Like, it's very, it's it's like a weird fetish thing that hmm. I'm not proud of. And, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I, like, I'm a little ashamed about it, but it's kind of, you know, I, I, I it's fun. Um, but yeah, I, I play a lot of Plants vs. Zombies, okay, which I'm addicted I play that. to. That, yeah. yeah, that and also that and also, if you've ever played, there's this game on uh, the iPad called The Room, and it's beautiful and it's creepy and it's just awesome. It's all of these different puzzles, and if you ever you know have a chance and an entire weekend where you just don't want to do anything, mm-hmm. just download it and play it. It's great. Cool. Yeah, and regarding watching a lot of games, so many games now, and I don't know if these are the games that you watch or if it's like Super Mario Kart, mm-hmm. but there's so many games that are actually basically movies. You know, They have a whole story like yeah. The Last of Us or even The Walking Dead game. You're really just watching right. a story unfold with the player making the choices. Yeah, exactly. I think two of my favorite right now are two of my favorites are actually... Um, uh, it's I think it's Bioshock. Oh yeah, the story behind yeah the mm-hmm. Bioshock series is just amazing, yeah. and then Assassin's Creed is so yeah. so cool. Absolutely. Yeah, like I'm I'm actually I have this I have this bad habit of if I can't get anybody to play video games for me to watch, I go on Wikipedia and I read the stories. Oh cool. And I like I'll like find all the all the different wikis and read about all of the different characters and their backstories. I'm just I'm obsessed with doing it. And lastly, what are you listening to? You know, I'm so bad with music. This is, I like to listen to soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to listen to a lot of instrumentals. I'm listening to a lot of Bella Fleck right now. Um, I'm listening to a little bit of Led Zeppelin. My boyfriend's really into Led Zeppelin, so I've been listening to more to try and be able to share that interest with him. Um, a lot of Dave Matthews band, I'm actually a huge musical fan. So I've been listening to oh, Sunday cool. in the Park with George mm-hmm. and uh, Be Into the Woods soundtrack gotcha. like i love both i love love both and i a lot of like uh i don't want to say more modern musicals but you know aida wicked when broadway became more pop been listening to a lot of those soundtracks mm-hmm. um and then i've actually i've been listening to the cinderella soundtrack i don't know if you've seen the movie but the, the music in it is really pretty no i haven't i have a one and a half year old so i don't get to see movies anymore okay. really <laughs> <laughs> You don't get to see movies for another like three or four years, yeah. I guess. And then it'll be a lot of Pixar films and things, which is cool because I like yeah. Pixar. But yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, there are. It's always great to go see a Pixar film. At least you're seeing a good film. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, as opposed to some of the other animation that's out right now. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there is. Um, we went to went to go see when we went to go see Cinderella. There was a trailer for an um, animated film that looked just really, really terrible. Like I just, I remembered. <laughs> turning over to Jeremy, my boyfriend, it was just like, that looks like the worst thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And basically, after those words were out of my mouth, you just hear these two five-year-olds behind us going like, that's so cool. We have to go see that. That's going to be the best movie ever. It was just like, oh my God, children, now you have no taste. You don't understand what quality is. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess though whoever created that movie knows what their market is, and you know, that's... yeah, knows knows what five year olds yeah. like. Yeah, somehow. Is, yeah, I, I like to think when I was five, my my taste was more refined, <laughs> but I don't think it was. I really, I've, I've rewatched some of the movies I was obsessed with at five. I was like, oh, this was never good. Right. This was never the masterpiece I thought it was at that age. Right. 
But I do think yeah. that the Pixar movies are pretty smart. They put in jokes there that kids don't get, but they're there for the adults so that there has so you don't suffer in the theater while you're watching with exactly. your kids kind of thing. And you can get a different audience. Yeah, too. and you know what? There are, there are also moments that are just, you know, kids know they're dark. Right. Kids know I mean the I mean the opening everyone quotes this, but the opening five minutes of up. I mean, God, if I see a scene from up to this mm-hmm. day, I just start crying. Like, I have to excuse myself, and then I go and, like, cry in the bathroom for a while. Uh, but I also think, you know, kids look at that, and they know, like, oh, she's dying, and now she's dead, and they couldn't have children, and, you know, all of these bad things are happening, and it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it's a great film. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's great. I actually, um, a few years ago, I saw Brother Bear when I was babysitting some kids. I took them to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, this, God, this this was more than a few years ago now that I'm realizing it because Brother Bear was a while ago. But kids are not everybody dies in that film. It's an animated film and just everybody keeps dying. Wow. And I think by by the end, the three of us were just like blubbering messes because it's like, oh, your mom's not coming back because I killed her. I'm so sorry. You know, and like my brother's dead and now this one's dead. It was just like, oh my God, this, this movie is terrible and it never gets happy. And I can't believe like, I'm sitting here thinking I was going to have a good time. Like, this is awful. Yeah. Meanwhile, the kids that you were with are now scarred for life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be like a bear's going to kill my yeah. mom. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's the dangers of babysitting. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for coming on the show, Liz. I appreciate it. It was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank and, you. This was so much fun. And you can follow Liz on Twitter, and it's at Liz Alps, correct? Yeah, yeah. Liz Alps. Um, and where you tweet what you're having for lunch and the Battle Creek Writers Room, which is awesome. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's hard hitting material. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's really it's the important stuff, really. Right. And sometimes I like you know sometimes I get very angry about certain trolls on Twitter that I find and just kind of like yell at people for a while and then you know i go back to tweeting about lunches right so, you know it's it's uh it's a good time yeah good time on twitter <laughs> yeah great um, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes there's no and in the middle there just at scriptscribes thank you all for listening <laughs>